Spiegel, co-editor-in-chief of the American Journal of Gastroenterology at Cedars-Sinai, and together with my co-editor, Dr. Brian Lacey, from the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville. It's my pleasure to host this month's podcast for the American Journal of Gastroenterology. And this month, we have Sachin Wani, who is the medical director of the Esophageal and Gastric Center at the University of Colorado, who is going to be talking about a new paper that we published in the Red Journal entitled, An Analysis of the GI Quick Nationwide Quality Registry Reveals Unnecessary Biopsies and Surveillance Endoscopies in Patients with a Normal and Irregular Z-Line. So I have to catch my breath after saying that long title. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks so much, Brennan. It's an absolute honor to be with you this evening. So let's get started. And uh, as I said, this is sort of a long title um, that has to do with the appropriateness of surveillance endoscopy when Barrett's esophagus is suspected. We all learn about Barrett's, but Barrett's is not Barrett's is not Barrett's. And intestinal metaplasia is not the same thing as dysplasia and short segment, long segment. And so there's been some changes over the years in the guidance for how we should be managing and surveying presumed Barrett's esophagus, and even what we often call an irregular Z-line. So this study is really focused on evaluating practice patterns in how endoscopists around the country are uh, approaching these different situations. So maybe you can talk to us a little bit about what the main question was for the study. And while we're at it, what is GI Quick for our listeners? Uh, what should they know about it? Because you use GI Quick uh, as a source of patients for the study. Absolutely. Brennan, I think it's uh, really important for us to just highlight what our guidelines state about making a diagnosis of Barrett's esophagus. Our most recent guidelines state that you really need to meet two prerequisites to making a diagnosis of Barrett's esophagus. For one, you should have a columnar lined esophagus that's greater than a centimeter from the gastroesophageal junction and your histology must show the presence of intestinal metaplasia on histology. Now, our guidelines also state, uh, and I'm specifically referring to the American College of Gastroenterology guidelines published a few years ago now, that categorically states that if you have a patient with a normal or an irregular Z-line that's less than one centimeter of columnar line esophagus, you really should not be obtaining biopsies in the absence of any visible lesions. Another important part about our guidelines is that when you do make a diagnosis of non-dysplastic Barrett's esophagus, you really should not be bringing these patients back any sooner than three to five years. It should also be highlighted that the frequency at which you obtain biopsies in patients with normal or irregular Z-line and the frequency of endoscopies in patients with non-dysplastic Barrett's esophagus have been proposed as quality measures. So having said all of this, despite the fact that we have guidelines, we have proposed quality measures, 
we really don't have any population-based data on adherence to these guidelines or these quality measures. So this really was the impetus uh, behind our study. So using um, national benchmarking registries such as GI Quick, we aim to assess practice patterns, the frequency with which we're obtaining biopsies and what the surveillance practices are in patients with a normal Z-line irregular Z-line, suspected or confirmed Barrett's esophagus, and we stratified this based on histology and length of the Barrett segment. Mm -hmm. I think it's also important to highlight, Brennan, you brought up the question of what is GI quick, right? I think this is one of the few national quality benchmarking registries that's out there to really monitor our performance with regards to colonoscopy and uh, upper endoscopy. This benchmarking registry is a joint initiative that was first established in 2010 as a collaborative effort between the ACG and ASGE. Mm -hmm. So GI Quick is a really innovative and large registry that's been the source of a lot of research that we've really relied upon uh, increasingly for years now, in addition to being a quality cater sort of assessment tool. It's terrific that uh, ACG has innovated this together with ASGE. So you've highlighted some important points. And the first, you know, we've all seen irregular Z-lines. And I remember years ago when I was a fellow, many times attending would say, well, you know what, why don't you just take a little bite of that because that looks irregular. And we kind of get trained into feeling the need to biopsy when there's an irregular Z-line. And you're emphasizing that we might have been trained that way, but maybe we shouldn't be practicing that way because it's very rare for people like that to go on to develop esophageal adenocarcinoma and extremely rare. And it may not be very cost-effective if we're routinely conducting biopsies and surveillance in these people who actually don't even have Barrett's by the latest definition of greater than one centimeter. So, so with that background, you in the study said, okay, well, let's look at, see what people are doing. So tell us more about sort of the methods of the study, what you were looking for and how you were measuring it. Yeah, I think Brennan, I'd, I'd also like to make one other point, which is really important to highlight specifically with regards to this database. GI Quick is one of the few national registries that not only provides patient level data, procedure level data, and specifically for this analysis, the length of the Barrett segment, but histology-based data. Very few databases actually are able to link endoscopy-based data with histology. So I think it's an important benefit of doing any sort of analysis with regards to quality measures using such a database. Specifically with regards to the methodology, this was a retrospective-based analysis using GI Quick, and we really highlighted or included patients who underwent an endoscopy with the indication for screening or surveillance for Barrett's esophagus. So they had to meet these inclusion criteria to be included in our analysis. And you know, given the size of this uh, registry, we were able to assess 1.9 million upper endoscopies and ultimately a total of 135,700 upper endoscopies performed in nearly the same number of patients actually met our uh, inclusion criterion. 
as expected, the vast majority were uh, Caucasian males. Uh, what is also interesting about GI Quick is that really spans the entire nation. So we had a good distribution of practices from all over the country. The mean length of the Barrett segment was uh, 2.3 centimeters. Getting to our main results, uh, Brennan, specifically with regards to how patients are being handled or how biopsies are being performed in individuals with a normal or an irregular uh, Z-line, we had a total of about 14,500 patients with a normal uh, Z-line in this analysis and a total of about uh, 11,700 patients with an irregular Z-line. Much to our surprise, nearly 90% of all these individuals had biopsies obtained from their normal or irregular Z-lines. We tend to make a diagnosis of intestinal metaplasia in approximately 38% of all these endoscopies. And then the vast majority of these patients, up to 80% of them, are then recommended to undergo surveillance endoscopies, which are completely unnecessary in my mind. Mm-hmm. Unnecessary because the risk of soft tissue adenocarcinoma is so low, right, in these patients. Exactly. But I, I just wanted to make that point. Uh, what you just said is so important, Brennan. We've got good observational data from studies, again, demonstrating that the risk of prevalent dysplasia or incident dysplasia in patients with a normal or an irregular Z-line is next to zero. Mm-hmm. Now, as I recall in this study, you did find some people who had high-grade dysplasia in the setting of an irregular Z-line, maybe 2% or so, uh, if I recall. So tell us about that because, you know, that's concerning. Does that kind of fly in the face of what we're talking about here? Should we be biopsying it? Tell us more about that finding. I'm so glad you brought that up, Brennan, uh, because that's really an important point to make from our study. Even though 2% of individuals with a normal or irregular Z-line were diagnosed with high-grade dysplasia, we believe that these are biopsies that were obtained in individuals who had a visible lesion. So the point that we're trying to make is that if you have a visible lesion and you can see visible lesions in individuals with a normal or irregular Z-line, you should be obtaining biopsies. And that's how these individuals got diagnosed with high-grade dysplasia. Again, highlighting the importance of really taking your time, inspecting the distal esophagus carefully, and using high-definition white light endoscopy and virtual chromoendoscopy, which is now supported by several guidelines for routine screening and surveillance of Barrett's esophagus. And I think we have to acknowledge this as a limitation in our analysis and the existing database. GI Quick does not provide granular data with regards to endoscopy findings, so we could not confirm that these biopsies were truly obtained in the setting of a visible lesion. But we know that the vast majority of patients with high-grade dysplasia have visible lesions. So that's our explanation for uh, this high rate of 
high-grade dysplasia seen in our analysis. Right. Okay. So not a perfect airtight sort of, I guess, argument against it, but you're saying it's very unusual to have high-grade without a lesion. So, you know, the clinical point is, okay, you see an irregular Z-line. You don't need to immediately start biopsying that thing. But before you just back away, because you heard a podcast never to do that, make sure to look very carefully, see if there's a lesion and so on. Now, there's also this condition, which it used to be called years ago, as I recall, it's called IMAGE, which was intestinal metaplasia at the GE junction, I-M-A-G-E, which is basically I am right and around that area, but it's not really Barrett's. And you talk about that as well. While we're talking about I am, tell us about that condition and whether you were looking for that here as well. Yeah, I think most of these individuals with intestinal metaplasia in the setting of a normal Z-line is exactly what you're talking about, Brennan. This is most likely intestinal metaplasia at the gastric cardium. This is an extremely common finding and consistent with what we've just talked about with regards to IM in the setting of an irregular Z-line. We really have limited data on the natural history of I am in the gastric cardium, and our data suggests that, again, the risk of progression of intestinal metaplasia in the gastric cardia is much lower compared to I am seen in patients with Barrett's esophagus. So the worry is, if you're always biopsying an irregular Z-line, inevitably, you're going to find some I am. And in many cases, in most cases, it may not be in the tubular esophagus at all. It might be in the cardia. In any event, it's very unlikely to progress. So with that background, so far we're talking about biopsying the Z-line. We'll also talk about the three to five year surveillance in a second, but what did you find? How often were people biopsying irregular Z-lines and what was happening next when you looked at at it in this study? Yeah, so I think, Brennan, it's important to understand that this analysis really does not give us the true denominator to say how often folks are getting biopsies obtained in the setting of a normal or an irregular Z-line. All we can say is that nearly 90% of individuals meeting our inclusion criteria had biopsies obtained in our analysis. I think the most disturbing part is recommendation of a surveillance endoscopy within three years to five years when you do make a diagnosis of intestinal metaplasia. And we're recommending these surveillance endoscopies in individuals that don't have Barrett's esophagus. And these, in our opinion, are all unnecessary endoscopies. And I'm sure later during this podcast, we'll talk about the implications of these recommendations. That's a good segue because I think we're just about at that later part. So it's a good opportunity as we kind of wrap up to think about what should our listeners be taking away? So they've learned a little bit about the guidelines if they didn't already know. This is a good refresher because I think the way we're trained is often how we practice for like the rest of our career. So it's, it's you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, but I think we need to always be ready to change our practice. And you've identified a, a lot of inappropriate overuse of surveillance endoscopy and too frequent surveillance endoscopy. What should, our, what should our listeners, our clinical GI docs be thinking about and what should they do differently after they've read your study? Yeah, I think two takeaways, Brennan. For one, 
do not obtain any biopsies in individuals with a normal or an irregular Z-line in the absence of any visible lesion. Right. If right. you see a visible lesion, by all means, you should obtain a target biopsy and send that separately to your pathologist. The other important aspect of our analysis is how frequently we're bringing patients back too soon when you do make a diagnosis of non-dysplastic Barrett's esophagus. Again, as a reminder, three to five years is the recommendation uh, for surveillance intervals in patients with non-dysplastic Barrett's. And our analysis showed that nearly 30 to 40% of patients are being brought back too soon for their surveillance endoscopies. Which brings us to, you know, what are the implications of these results, right? I think when you do make a diagnosis of intestinal metaplasia in the setting of a normal or an irregular Z-line, you're really recommending a surveillance endoscopy. You're committing these patients to lifelong surveillance endoscopies. And this practice, as you can imagine, really results in increased costs, risk, insurance premiums, and anxiety. Mm -hmm. Also think about the fact that these endoscopies will be competing with other required endoscopies that are actually necessary, i.e. colonoscopy for colorectal cancer screening. So these are all important implications of our oversampling and overutilization of endoscopy. What's the path forward, Brennan? I think we really need to have quality measures, just like we have in the field of colonoscopy, really keeping us accountable for how often are we oversampling? How often are we bringing these patients back too soon for their endoscopy? And something that I'm fairly passionate about is really ramping up research in creation of educational programs mm -hmm. so that we can educate our trainees and practitioners with regards to our guidelines, quality measures, and best practices in screening and surveillance for Barrett's esophagus. That's a great line of thinking. And I want to end with a naysayer who may be listening, who might be thinking, oh God, more quality indicators. Just what I need, right? Just what I need is another one. And you know what? It's one thing to have guidelines, but, and I'm just, you know, summoning some hypothetical voice here. I'm not going to get sued because I didn't do an, I'm going to do an endoscopy. I don't care what he says within one year. If I find one centimeter of uh, IM, no dysplasia, I'm going to bring him back in a year because I want to make sure I didn't miss something. Quality indicator be damned. So how do you respond to that uh, as we kind of close up here without going over another 20 minutes? But how do you, what do you say to that? Because that's, you know, one of the critiques is, and it's the same thing with colonoscopy, because we hear this all the time. We say, I'm not going to wait 10 years after a normal colonoscopy. I mean, it's not the same, but it's the same general concern that I'm not going to be held the guidelines because I have medical legal risk. What do you say to that? I think, Brennan, to the naysayers, I'll just say that whether we like it or not, uh, our healthcare community is really moving in this direction of um, really providing safer, less expensive, and higher quality to our patients. I think the time is now, and it's really important for all of us to embrace this whole philosophy of quality uh, care for our patients, specifically with bare it's esophagus in this context. So yeah, value-based healthcare and doing the most good for the most people. But in the end, we have these guidelines. So I, I think it's important 
for our listeners to realize that, I mean, just medical legally, you've got guidelines that you should rely upon that will protect you. I mean, if you, there's no requirement that you do an endoscopy within one year, uh, unless there's really a clear cut reason, like you just did not do enough biopsies. I uh, didn't do a biopsy or, or whatever, or there was a lesion there on the photograph and I should have biopsied it. And well, of course, those situations happen. But other than that, it's really great to go over the guidelines. I think these kinds of studies are very important. It's sort of simple. I mean that in, in the highest phrase, that it's a very simple study to understand, to read. I recommend our listeners to go read the paper, see what your colleagues are doing. And let's see if we can all jointly, myself included, maybe hold off on the biopsy forceps a little bit when we see that irregular Z line and think about reducing costs, improving value of care, and improving quality. So with that, I want to thank you again uh, for being with us today. And on behalf of my co-editor, Brian Lacey, and our entire editorial board, I appreciate you being with us on today's podcast. Thanks so much, Brennan. It was an honor.